This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Certified yoga therapy expert Lila Schwartz clearly explains movement principles, basic anatomy, breath awareness, and the central elements of alignment-based yoga to help you uncover your own healing potential and move toward back pain relief. Her book, Healing Our Backs with Yoga, includes step-by-step instructions with 27 pose sequences, 285 color photos, explanations, hints, and cautions take the guesswork out of yoga so you can practice simple and powerful poses aimed at healing your back. Whether you are a seasoned yoga teacher or a first-time yoga practitioner, Healing Our Backs with Yoga offers the keys to unlock the natural healing capabilities of the body. The book also includes clear instructions along with hints and cautions to guide the readers on their healing journey and is written with all levels of yoga practitioners in mind. The average person and beginning yoga student will find the background information on physiology helpful in starting a practice to help heal back pain. Other levels of experience will learn to think of their practices in a new light. And yoga teachers will find new ways to help students along with a new way to think of their own practices. Valeria Tellez interviews Lila Schwartz, the author of Healing Our Backs with Yoga, An Essential Guide to Back Pain Relief. Lila Schwartz, CIAYT Certified Yoga Therapist, is an Asheville-based yoga teacher, teacher trainer, and author. With more than 40 years of experience, she shares with students what she has learned from years of study with master yoga teachers, including BKS Iyengar, along with ongoing exploration about fascia, back pain relief, keys to healthy aging, and the physics of consciousness. Her teaching resources include her signature book, Healing Our Backs with Yoga, An Essential Guide to Back Pain Relief 2016, several courses designed for Yoga U Online, a YouTube channel, a Vimeo class library, weekly live online classes, and private consultations. Meet Lila at yogawithlila.com. Here's the interview with Lila Schwartz. In your own words, who is Lila Schwartz? In my own words, I am a lover of yoga. I am someone who loves to serve. I've been on a quest since I was young to discover how to heal my own back pain because I did not like living in pain and I didn't think that should be something that one had to do. So I kept looking for solutions to work with the physical body um, to overcome my discomfort. 
And of course, in the study of yoga, it's a very vast subject. So it's body, mind, and spirit. And uh, it's kept me busy for 40 years. And I'm still uh, in learning, still learning and growing for 40 years. And I do teach. I ran a yoga studio in Asheville, North Carolina from 1981 to 2013, so 33 years. Did teacher trainings for 20 years, uh, training teachers all over the Southeast. I've been able, of course, an author of a book, which we're going to talk about later, and uh, several courses with Yoga U Online, and uh, particularly we're going to talk about my newest course. How did you discover yoga, or how did yoga discover you, Leela? It was always a healing journey. I was always looking for that healing path and putting one foot in front of the other. What do I need to know now? What do I need to know now? And my very early teacher, his name was David Carmos, and it was in Boston, Massachusetts. And David had was a wonderful human being and healer and helper. And he integrated Chinese medicine in yoga and diet and nutrition. And uh, I studied with him. He had gone to Boston Children's Hospital, and he would work with the children that the doctors didn't know, couldn't figure out how to help them. And there was one fellow that actually became his assistant for many years who was on a lot of prednisone, which is, of course, a steroid, which puffs you up. And through diet, yoga, and massaging the acupressure points, David was able to give this young man a new life. And he came off all his medications. And so he was a powerful healer in his, in his own right. And he was my first yoga teacher. I was steeped in the idea that healing was possible from the very beginning. That sounds wonderful to me, knowing that alternative medicine, as I believe yoga is classified, right, Leela? It's not conventional medicine. Well, you know, there is, a, there is an association called the International Association of Yoga Therapists, and I am certified as a yoga therapist with them. And part of their work is to do sort of the research studies so that all of the practices that we people were you have been using that we know have worked now they can sort of identify and, and quantify yes indeed these things help with this this helps with that and so it's giving more um, sort of research informed uh, study with yoga so that people can have more confidence in how to apply the tools that yoga offers that's wonderful to know too because we do know the power of yoga and Chinese medicine and ancient wisdom when it comes to healing the body and mind and spirit. But it's interesting how some of us are really in resistance to that. I see that around my family when I talk about these things, that they keep taking medication and seeing doctors. And do you see a moment in time where we evolve to heal the body, mind in a more natural way? You know, I think it requires a lot of commitment. Yeah. You know, I'm 70 years old now, and I'm not without concerns. Um, I love 
the Western model because it gives me lots of helpful testing so I can test what I'm doing to see if it's working or not working. And of course, there's a new, there's new frontiers in functional medicine. So the MDs are actually going into the specialty of functional medicine, which is very scientific and research-based. Uh, and yet, there's still the interaction with the individual and, and that person and how they will respond. And it's really, it requires a lot of commitment. And most people, I don't think they have the passion to make that commitment. So it's easier to take a pill. And some pharmaceuticals are useful. And so I think that huh, that's a, a really bigger question. How does one choose when faced with a health crisis or uh, some sort of situation like that? How does one choose one's approach? And I think at, in, in that arena also, yoga really offers an opportunity because to, uh, for centering, for mental emotional centering, where you can use the breathing exercises, you can get yourself grounded and get yourself grounded not up in your head in your fears about making the right decision or the wrong decision, but find a way to get grounded in your heart so that you can then ask your heart what the right thing mm -hmm. is for you to do. You just mentioned heart, mind. We talked briefly off record. I would love to hear more about that, Leela. The heart, mind, how it works and how do we learn to recognize thoughts coming from this place? So I'll have to defer everyone who's listening to look up the HeartMath Institute online because the HeartMath Institute has done all the research and so they have all the statistics on how the heart and mind can come into coherence with each other. And it's very accessible information and it has a lot to do with discovering uh, and yoga is, has a name in yoga. It's called, I believe it's called Moody in yoga, where you where you find the simple, you find the simple joys in life, like happy that the flowers are blooming and it's spring, and uh, pleased that we have a, a friend who's doing really well, or a, 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 a child who's doing really well, and sort of celebrating that as a as a moment of joy and noticing how that feels in our heart when we think and those things, right? I have to say, think those things. So, so the heart has the heart has something like twenty or thirty thousand cognitive cells, which are known as the little brain of the heart. And the really fascinating piece about it is that there are more, I believe there are efferent nerves going from the heart to the brain than from the brain to the heart. In other words, our brain actually takes its impulses from our heart. And to recognize that is a step in the direction of living from heart. An example they give at HeartMath Institute often is when you walk into, say you're traveling and you stop and you walk into a restaurant, and in a moment of smelling and feeling, you either say, yes, I can eat at this restaurant, 
or no, I can't, and you walk out the door. And it's not your brain that made that decision. It was the it was the vagus nerve and all those nerve endings that feed into the cognition of the heart. It was your heart that made that decision. And you walked out because it was the heart. So that, those sorts of things. And people can find examples of that. You know, why did I, why did I turn right at this corner? Because my heart led me that way. Well, there was a big dog coming down the other street. Or in my neighborhood, there was a bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we, have, we have black bears uh, that roam our neighborhood. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I avoided mama bears. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. <laughs> Very good thing. <laughs> Off record, you said, you mentioned uh, how sweet our thoughts taste in a way. So it's like um, knowing that, kind of perceiving that sweetness, it's a sign, would be a sign that those thoughts are coming from the heart. And then let's say the opposite that would be bitter taste in our thoughts that uh, they relate to conditionings and past traumas and all that. That makes so much sense to me. Would you say it's the same thing, the heart, mind, it refers to intuition? Are they related or the same thing? Yes, 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 yes. So what I want to say about that, about finding out if thoughts taste sweet or not, (laughs) a person has to slow down. They have to slow down. They have to not be learning Spanish or Portuguese on, on Duolingo. You know, they have, to, yeah. they have to unplug a little bit. So I think, you know, uh, from a yogic perspective and from a Buddhist perspective, they're, they're more of the mindfulness perspective. Sitting once a day for a period of time and being quiet and watching and listening to the voices in your heart mind or your mind heart or your ego ranting you know it could be anything but you have to stop and you have to you have to sit and listen and do a little bit of breathing rhythmics breathing and then stop at some point and say how does that thought taste and I'll, I'll get, can I give you an example yes please, please. okay so uh, day before yesterday I was meditating in the morning and I was Propping myself up against the wall when I do my pranayama, I often do that so that I have feedback from the wall and I can feel my spine more clearly. And when I first sat down, my upper back was very twisted. And so I proceeded to do my functional breathing and connecting the diaphragm to the pelvic floor and making a smooth breath and expanding the circle of the diaphragm, uh, etc., which is all could be in the category of functional breathing. And then at one point, I, I felt one shoulder blade hitting the wall differently. And I went, oh, my shoulder blade is winging. And in that moment, I flashed back to something uh, a, a, a colleague of mine who was a massage therapist said to me about my shoulders. said, oh, your shoulder blades aren't popping out as much anymore, which was an interesting kind of a sort of a compliment, um, but not really. And so I went, I went to that, and then I went back further to when I was in the Iyengar school, and I used to put my hands behind my back in, in a certain pose and reverse namaste, and I put my hands behind my back, and my shoulder blades would wing out. And I remember how it put most of the teachers in shock because they didn't expect that in my body, and they would comment on it, and it held 
a memory of shame. It held a memory of shame for me. And even it's like, well, that's interesting. And so when I when I was in touch with that feeling of shame and that memory of shame, it didn't taste sweet. It was, and I felt it in my body and it was not comfortable. And I, so in that moment is when we have to stop and say, wait a minute, that's interesting, but this is me and I'm okay the way I am. And if I trust that I'm the way I'm meant to be and that I'm okay as I am, then I need to have a response to that that's sweeter. And the response that I came up with was to say to that person who said, gee, your shoulder blades aren't poking out as much, is to say to them, oh, that's because they're my angel wings and they don't always have, they don't always have to spread. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, but to, to call, to claim my shoulder blades as my angel wings, that's I'm an angel in training. Those are my wings, you know. And that thought, as much as a fantasy that may be to some people, tasted sweet enough that my heart softened and the chemistry of my body changed. So it, um, everything is connected, chemistry, feelings, thoughts, and the heart, the brain, the ego. How amazing this adventure is, right, Leila? It's very amazing. And really, that's the work of um, Bruce Lipton in epigenetics, right? So it's the science is showing that our heart and our bodies, the vagus nerve is like 95% sensory, which means it's perceiving all kinds of things that our conscious mind doesn't even notice because we're busy with something else, right? And, and, and so because it's sensory, when the input, input has that sweetness or that appreciation or gratitude, when it has those things and acceptance, how to accept the differences of another, how to accept that they're on their life path, even if I disagree. So those are the real challenging things that, you know, some of the stuff that we met over the past couple of years with our, with our whole pandemic. But the, 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 the bottom line is that we respond to the chemistry of the thoughts that we feed and, and hold in our hearts. Mm, what a beautiful message. Knowledge, of course. And with that in mind, I do have the opening questions, too many here. So with this in mind, I want to ask you one question. How do you define spirituality these days? I knew you were going to try and stump me with some questions. (laughs) You did. (laughs) I would define spirituality as a manner of embracing your whole self. Embracing yourself in such a manner and that you discover ways to love yourself. That's not a superficial love. That's a, a love that's about removing the bitter tastes of the conditioning, of the fear, of the anger, and doing that work to um, set yourself free from that. And for me, spirituality, as, as it's unfolded, So I've gone from a really strong physical practice. You know, see, in yoga, there's the five koshas, and it's the planes of consciousness. So it's the physical, the pranic or energetic, the mental, 
the intellect, and the bliss body, right? So there's these five koshas, and it's sort of a map of how energy travels, but it's how energy manifests from non-physical to bliss to a beginning of individuation and and then into mind, which is vijnana, and then into mind, which is good, bad, right, wrong, oppositions, um, ego, and then into the energetic field, manifesting more until it's all the way into the physical, into manamaya kosha. So you can enter into that as a spiritual journey in any one of those places. And you can travel up or you can travel down, and you're going to at some point integrate, hopefully integrate all of them. So for me, spirituality right now is about keeping myself in as, as best harmony as I can and acknowledging the truth of my larger being, the, my being beyond my skin, and acknowledging that presence and that the, the light of the divine is always present, always in me, never disconnected. And that I'm on a journey here. I'm in classroom earth. And I'm on a journey to keep learning and removing obstacles from fully realizing that to be true. And, and as I do that, as I do that, I'm then contributing to the whole because I'm making the commitment to keep myself as a vibrant, living, compassionate cell in the body of humanity. So I wonder a lot of times, how did this come to be, to be in the human body or be the human body? I know it didn't have to be. It seems that it didn't have to be, but it is. What do you see as a destination, if there is one, for the human experiment or experience? Well, I, I think you're, um, the implication is that what I just heard you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that... Um, are we a body that has a that has a spirit, or are we a spirit that has a body? Mm-hmm. Yes, right. and I, I think mm-hmm. that when we go to, you know, some of my good teachers have pointed to the fact that we are actually a, a spirit that has a body, and we tend to be swept away by the physical, and forget to expand into our greater nature. So is there a goal? I think it's everyone is individual. I think everyone's individual, you know. The older the older I get, the longer I'm in this practice, the more I realize I don't really know anyone else's journey. I can only know my own. Mm. I can only I can only know my own. It's like what was my agreement as Sue Mortar, Dr. Sue Mortar, who's a wonderful gal, um, who does some bioenergetics and she teaches a lot online. She's very prolific and I wish I had half her energy. <laughs> um, and, and she she calls that she says, well, when you're at the bus stop, she calls it the bus stop, which is really sweet. It's like when you're a soul and you're getting ready to manifest and come into a body and manifest a body, and you're at the bus stop, you get your assignment. And then what happens with most of us is we forget what that assignment is and we spend our lifetime rediscovering it. <laughs> so, so it's different. It's different for everybody. It's different for everybody. And I think, you know, ultimately we want to, I think ultimately we want to connect with the fact 
that we live in a unified field and that the medium of that field is love, but it's not personal love. It's an energy, like and it's like hope is really its own energy. Love is its own energy. And so I try to remind myself often in my practices that this is a unified field where this is a unified field. You know, the butterfly wings a thousand miles away has an effect on this other side of the planet, right? So we do live in a unified field. And that's certainly something that COVID taught us or brought to our minds that, that uh, we're all in this together, right? There's not, there's not separation in that sense. It is a unified field. It's very challenging, of course. That modern lifestyle is extremely challenging because the social economic structures have created a lot of separation between us and nature. And that separation is, uh, ah, I don't know where that's going to go exactly. I, I, I have no idea. I got to trust that, that spirit knows what I don't know. And that people who are being born now and coming up will have a completely different perspective than I do from my early programming in the 50s. It's going to be different. So holding open to the possibilities, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, there's so much to unpack there. There's just so much to unpack. So true. You wrote the book, Healing Our Backs with Yoga, An Essential Guide to Back Pain Relief. Talk to me for a moment about the main inspiration and intention of writing this book, Mila. Right. So the intention of writing the book was to take all the knowledge that I had gained in my own studies and in my teaching. So, you know, the book has 22 different sequences. So it's really a practice aid to people. And then I, I drop little gems of wisdom at the beginning of each sequence and how to apply it and that sort of thing. But the sequences are all anatomically balanced and um, they've all been time tested. So there isn't a sequence in that book that I didn't teach frequently through my 20, 25, 30 years of teaching yoga for back, back pain. And my students taught me as much as I taught them, but also the body has its own wisdom. There's the anatomy, the alignment, the way the fascia is connected. I mean, all of that is a body wisdom. And if you just give the body simple things, it will move into a new place and into a healing place. It doesn't have to be complicated. So, you know, what I, I, I give people some background information, how to understand uh, their pain and different how do I sort of begin to identify aspects of pain what's positive pain what's negative pain what happens when I exercise and I'm sore the next day uh, you know that sort of thing so a little discussion about that a little discussion about scar tissue so if we've had injuries how scar tissue behaves is like a band-aid it's a chaotic connective tissue that acts like a band-aid and um, it can be problematic. Scar tissue can really limit mobility, so it can be problematic. And it always hurts more when you stretch it. So it's good to know, oh, that's my scar tissue stretching, and you don't have to push it, right? You don't have to push anything. But the idea was to get people on the mat 
and to be aware of their body, be aware of their breath, be aware of their alignment so that they could call on some very basic anatomical principles that are easy to understand to help them start reducing their back pain and getting some freedom, getting some freedom. So, you know, and I did, it was, was one of those things that I felt like I had devoted my whole life to that understanding. And it would be a shame not to put it in a book so that other people could benefit. So I'll say that. And the, the only other thing I'll say about the book, you know, because I still have courses that I offer and I still am teaching, is that the, one of the things I was very good at, I have a lot of body wisdom. I have a lot of body wisdom and kinesthetic wisdom. So one of the things I was really good at was breaking poses down to their smallest common denominator so people could start at A and then move to B, move to C, move to D, and gradually progress and build their awareness, build their strength, recreate the, their structural balance. Right. So if we're if we're structure is balanced, then we don't have so much pain. It's when our structure gets really out of balance, either physically, physiologically, emotionally, any on any level, that the pain comes in. And because we know the body is not separate from the mind, if it's emotional pain, it's also in your tissues. It's also in the body. It's also contracting that part of your body. So Every every contraction can be an investigation. If I've been sitting at my desk for hours, then my psoas is going to be contracted. My circulation is not going to be so great in my legs. My lower back might feel really weak because I've been sitting too long. So then you have to get up and you have to move and you have to do the right poses to kind of help you release things, right? So um, it is a practice book. It is a practice. And I do some stuff in that book also about the asymmetric pelvis, how to identify there's four main types of SI joint imbalances. It's not a super technical book. It's more like a, 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 it's more of a practical user's manual type book. So you're not going to get extensive anatomy, this Mm -hmm. and that. You're going to get, you're going to get the essence of what you need to know to get on your mat and start moving and move with some awareness and move safely. So that's really the intent of the book. I love your work because I know the power of yoga. I practice some of the poses and, of course, meditation, breathing work. And uh, you sent me the um, the low back sustaining sequence with uh, 19 poses. And I was looking at it in some of them I I had no idea, so um, I'll be practicing them too. They look amazing <laughs> to me, <laughs> all those poses. And wow, this is for any age, Leela. Anyone can engage in yoga. I have my mother-in-law. I'm trying to get her to do it. She's 87. She doesn't want to even try. So the question is, can anyone at any age practice yoga? You know, the, the answer is, which part of the kosher model are they going to step into? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for your 82-year-old mother-in-law, what her yoga would look like, what my yoga looks like, and what somebody who just turned 50s yoga looks like is going to be very, very different. It's going to be very different. So for, as far as the book is concerned, I would say most people will benefit 
from a great deal of what's in that book because it has such a uh, a simple progressive it's not the poses aren't fast they're slow you hold them and breathe a little bit you wait you see how your body responds you know it's a more it's a progressive slow practice of building awareness as you're as you as you're doing the poses so i think a lot of people will get benefit from it um there are those situations where um like i say in the book so the basic low back sequence my guidance in the book is just do that one sequence for a month or two until your back pain has diminished down to a three on a scale of one to ten. One being no pain, three. If you're down to a three, go on to the next. So, you know, it, 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 is, a, it is a process. There's stories in the back of the book of people who came in with three herniated discs or a herniated disc and a weakness here and an asymmetric thing here. And I tell the story about how they were helped. Okay, so it kind of gives some people some ideas about how to apply the practices. Um, certainly, someone could um, get in touch with a certified yoga therapist or somebody who specializes in yoga for back care or even a physical therapist who's doing some sport medicine or physical therapy work to help them sort it out to see is this pose really okay for me or not. I know I had a student email me a couple about, about two weeks ago now and she was very upset because she was doing some online courses, not just mine, but other courses as well. And the information was to make your back strong and healthy, you need to extend your spine. I mean, you need to do little baby back bends like cobra pose and things like that. And she said, but all those poses hurt me terribly. And she told me her story. And and then she 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 said, except this one pose, Lala, that you gave helps me. And she told me what pose it was. It was a supine pose lying on your back. It's called traction twist. And what it does is it lengthens the psoas muscle one side at a time and keeping your spine pretty, you know, things pretty neutral. And when she told me that, it was like, ah. And I emailed her back and said, you just have to keep doing that for the next two months until your pain is diminished more. Because somehow you have a spasm there and your spine is pulled forward and that is an extension exercise. It's just the babiest version that you could pick to start with. And so that's where she needed to start. And eventually she'll go into some more traction and and she'll get herself healed because there's, I told her what section of the book to look at and that kind of thing. So she'll, she'll, she'll find her way through. But, you know, you need, sometimes you need help. Some, and that's why I have a course also, a video course, so that people can actually see me in action and listen to me and how I'm actually teaching awareness about these poses. And it's called the Mind Body Guide Yoga Back Care Beyond 50. And I say beyond 50 because, you know, if you're 30 years old and you're drawn to all the fancy yoga poses, the work that I'm sharing is going to be boring to you. You know, unless and until someone has an injury of some kind or something about their yoga practice isn't working for them, then they're willing to slow down and investigate a little deeper. And if not, they quit. And if not, they quit. And that happens too. That happens plenty. So people start yoga, but then they quit yoga because they can't find somebody to deliver it to them in a form that they can assimilate. 
So there's, so there's a, you know, yoga is going through its own evolution. There are good teachers out there, and there's a lot of people uh, trying to make it more, bring more awareness to the practice, and slow it down a little bit. There's a lot of people out there doing that, so it's it's good. It's it's evolving. I love the the slowing down. I do love that. Yeah. So so my, and, and the course that I have, I know you probably have some other questions from me. I just want to say this. In the course, what I did is I, I, I it's six thirty-five minute. Uh, practice sessions. And the good thing about a, a pre-recorded course like that is you can watch it several times as you think through how to apply it to your yourself, right? And what I tried to do is I tried to give a sec at one class for each of the important areas of taking care of the back. So there's, you know, how to understand how to create stability in your pelvis. And that's the very first class. What about the clock face? What about creating stability and learning how to keep your pelvis stable so you don't aggravate or pinch anything in your in your spine? Keep it real neutral, right? And work with developing the flexibility of the legs while keeping the pelvis and the spine neutral. And then, and how do you do that? So I guide people with that and and different parts, how to improve your posture. So some poses that you have to work on and muscles that you have to work on that will help make you uh, your posture better and help you stand a little straighter after sitting at the desk. And um, and then I have one section where we really work with fascia and how to release and get the fascia flowing without injury. Moves that you can do and not injure yourself. So that's that's really critical. So I use a chair for that practice. And uh, for people who are really stiff in their backs and hips and shoulders, it's it's a gift. It's a real gift for them because it really helps them feel come alive, and that's great. And then there's another class for the core. You know how to have a balanced core body, like 360 degrees, not just your stomach, but your hips, your your buttock muscles, your side muscles, your low back muscles. All of that are part of the core, and so that's the toning class. You know, so yeah, there's lots of goodies in there for people. From just trying to pull out pieces, pull out gems that that are really helpful for them that can complement what's in the book. That sounds wonderful. I have watched some of the videos on YouTube. Your videos, they are so helpful. It makes it so much easier. I'm very visual, so I needed to see. Like I love your book too because it has the images. It's easier, much easier that way to just try to copy that. I know you offer private consultations too. Is that online by phone? How does it work, Leela? Uh, yeah, I have. I do Zoom uh, consultations. I can do private Zoom consultations as well, and they can sign up through my website, and they'll get the Zoom link. And it actually works really well for me. You know, people were, you know, are kind of hesitant. They want to be in person, and I, and certainly it's not, it's not as great as being in person. Um, because in person is uh, there's many reasons why being in person is a wonderful thing. However, it is very workable, and it is it's not inefficient. So I can see one on one. I can see a lot of things, and I know how to ask the right questions and guide people to some self discovery, and then help them find the poses uh, that become their home base poses. How to uh, just as an example, I had a woman find me who lived out in Oregon, and I'm, of course, in North Carolina on the East Coast, 
and she was looking for someone for her asymmetric pelvis and her knee was bothering her all the time. And, and the problem was really coming from her hip and she was having trouble walking. She couldn't walk very much and it was really frustrating her. So she was trying to find someone to help her and it took a little while, but she was committed. And I think we probably worked together every two or three weeks for about six months and in six months time, um, she reported that, you know, I kept coaching her and helping her find the right moves and what to focus on. And she started walking like a half hour at a time without any pain at all. And that's wonderful. Yeah, that's wonderful. I was really, really pleased about that result. <laughs> that shows how powerful it is, the practice and, of course, the way you teach, too, because teachers are different. So thank you so much for doing what you do, Alila, again this beautiful work. Thank you. Thank you for this lovely interview. Uh-huh. I do have a few more questions for you, the, the ending questions. Uh, but before that, would you like to add anything else that we didn't discuss, so we, we missed any topics, Lila, or any points or messages? No, I never know how to answer that. I would say, uh, I would say you know, I'd like to invite people just to look at my website or uh, look at my YouTube channel, which I'm going to be doing some upgrading on shortly and just see if there's something there and they they can always send me a question. They can always, you know, send me a question, contact uh, through the website and I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I will have the link, your website link on the podcast profile too. What is another word for freedom? You want one word? Oh yeah, it could be two, three, (laughs) four, (laughs) of course. Presence now. Yeah. Presence now is another word for freedom. Beautiful. And my last question is, what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? To be appreciated. Yeah. To be loved. And to know that they are worthy. It's interesting how the body can feel the sweetness of that wisdom, that message, those words. Thank you, Leela. I said that off record, and throughout the interview, I felt the sweetness of that wisdom that's so profound. And it's here. It's always here. It's never hidden. Thank you so much again for being you, for doing what you do, for the kindness, um, for sharing love, ultimately. Thank you. Thank you as well. Before we say goodbye for today, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, courses, services, and future projects? If people would just go ahead to my homepage on my website, it's Yoga with Lila, uh, spelled out Yoga with, and my name is L-I-L-L-A-H dot com. And I also have a free resource library there. So if uh, the listeners are people who are already practicing some yoga and they'd like to do my five-day so-as-release uh, poses, uh, it's, a, it's, a free, it's a free series that I offer uh, through my resources page, my, my resource library on my website. And they're welcome to sign up for that. 
Wonderful. And I will have the link on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon, Leila. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Lila Schwartz and her work, please visit yogawithlila.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.